You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning. Um, let me go ahead and show you what I just found out, and it's going to annoy the hound out of me and you all day. Look at this. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know. We'll just be patient. Uh, we'll see. Uh, let's, I'm going to get rid of it because it's going to do it the whole time, all right? <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, let's begin with this. Do you guys ever wake up, um, whether it's in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, um, many of you in the room, you ain't going to lie, it's in the middle of the night, and you decide to go to the pantry and get you out a bowl, uh, grab some cereal, and let's, we got some healthy Fruity Pebbles, uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and... Um, Cheerios. So you wake up in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning, you're just pumped. You're like, man, I've been craving this. And you're going to go, by the way, I don't believe in eating a bowl of cereal. I personally believe it's a box. Uh, But you go that route, you're pumped. You go to the fridge and this happens. Oh, you feel it. It's pain, right? Um, This, and I'll steal this right now. This is a small scale version of what I want to talk about today. What I want to do is I want to begin uh, a series, and I want to address the issue um, about when something like that happens, just because you've experienced something difficult doesn't mean you get to become difficult. Like, something like that happens to me, golly, it's like, you know, I go off wondering, Jenny, do we ever go to the store around here? You know, it just goes crazy, and the whole day is ruined. Um, The reason I address this is because this new series that we're going to start is entitled, No Matter What, The Choice to Rejoice. Now, I give that, and it's stupid, I know, but, but we all resonate with that because it's a small-scale version of what we deal with in a, in a grander scheme. This new series is really going to be about the letter that Paul wrote to Philippians. Um, now, when we get there, we're not going to get there this week, you'll see why. When we get there, Philippians has about four chapters. There's a bunch of verses there mixed together, but when Paul wrote it, it was one long letter. But the reason it's broken down into four chapters and different verses, it's so we can navigate it today. Now, we're going to do a series in Philippians, but today we're going to look at a chapter in a book called Acts. Acts is written about the actions of the early church. And in particular, we're going to look at a chapter that highlights uh, the Apostle Paul and his trip to Philippi, the city where Philippians was later written to. If you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to all this stuff, let me kind of try to give you a good grasp on what the New Testament is like. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books. They're about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, eyewitness accounts, four different perspectives. Then you get to the next book, it's called Acts. That's where we're going to be today. It's the action of the early church. It's basically the storyline for all the letters of the rest of the New Testament. They're going to show up in the history, the early part of the church, in the book of Acts, Um, meaning this image might help. Uh, This kind of gives you an idea, Jerusalem's here. Paul's gonna take the good news of Jesus because this is where he was crucified, risen from the dead and ascended, and this is where the church starts. Paul's gonna take this news through the book of Acts. You're gonna read about it all through the Acts um, of the early church. He'll take it to Colossae, he'll take it to Galatia, to Ephesus, to Corinth, to Thessalonica, to Rome, and to Philippi. And so that's where you get kind of the, the structure for the remainder of the letters. And in particular, today, we're going to look at him when he gets into the area of Philippi. It's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Silas is a sidekick. 
Timothy's going to be a pastor, so he's kind of learning this stuff. Luke is the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also writes the book of Acts. So these four are traveling together, and they come up to the area of Philippi. Now, Philippi is about nine miles inland from the port city of Neapolis. Neapolis is a Roman military outpost. Now, this is important because it's going to lay the framework for the story today. Um, It's a Roman military outpost that was named after Philip II of Macedonia who was also Alexander the Great's dad. The city was established in the fourth century BC. And and when Rome defeated the city, Rome decided we're gonna make this a military colony. Like it was a prestigious Roman colony. So much so that, that part of the Roman road, 450 miles to Rome, would go through the area of Philippi. A couple cool features to show you uh, what the city was like. On one end of the town was the theater. And this theater, uh, was, uh, was built in 400 BC, and the Greeks would have theater at, at this setting. But when Rome gets it early in the first century, they took out the first four rows of the theater and turned it into a coliseum for gladiators. Gives you an idea. That's on one end of the city. The other end of the city, and this one will show up in the story today, is a courtyard, also known as the Agora. It's like this 100-yard uh, open air setting that you see some columns around it where administrative buildings would take place. So it was like a, a public setting for courts, public setting for administration. And into this area is where the Apostle Paul travels with his three buddies in 50 AD. Now, here's what's crazy he's going to engage this culture with, filled with people with radically different backgrounds, and he's going to tell them the good news about Jesus. And friendships will start in Philippi that 10 years later will still be intact and the Apostle Paul will write the letter of Philippians. So this is why I want us to look at Philippi today. Um, When we read this today, and you're gonna see about three encounters, I want you to think about this image. It represents represents opportunity. Like there's gonna be three different encounters that Paul and his teammates have with three different people with three radically different backgrounds. And what's gonna happen is it's gonna set up the series as we study no matter what. And now what you learn about Philippi, it's a city of great opportunity, but it's also a place of great pain. As we follow the story in Acts 16 that sets everything up, you're going to see the story is simple, and then it gets complicated, and then it's going to get really messy. But let's watch these three encounters. The first is a woman that people looked up to. Her name is Lydia. Now, people looked up to her because she's an influential, wealthy businesswoman. Well, let's read about it. Uh, Verse 13, on the Sabbath, Luke is writing this, we, meaning Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, we went to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. So so they're outside, they go to a river, they're looking for people that might be praying. Paul pulls up a chair, because that was the posture of teachers in those days, and he begins to teach. He tells everyone in the audience about this incredible creator who invades a broken world by sending his son Jesus to heal, to rescue, to restore, and to make all things right. And Paul tells them that they saw this Jesus crucified in Jerusalem. They saw him with his, their own eyes risen from the dead. So they're not, just, they're not just believing something they were told. They're believing in something they saw, a resurrected Jesus. And they give their life to Jesus. And Jesus tells them, now, it's your job to let these little Jesus groups blossom everywhere. And they start to break out in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, hey, we're here in Philippi because we're bringing this good news to you guys too. Now, this businesswoman named Lydia that everybody looks up to, watch how simple this is. Verse 14, 
One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So pay close attention here. God opened her heart. And it wasn't because Paul persuaded her. God just flat out opened her heart. The reason I want to emphasize this, there are people in the room today. You're intrigued by church. You've been coming for a little bit. Maybe this is your first time. You got bribed into it. You got lunch with a pretty girl, handsome guy, free lunch, whatever it is. And you're just here, but you're intrigued. And, and for all practical purposes, maybe you're like a Lydia. Like maybe your life is pretty put together. From the outside, people look at you and they admire you like Lydia. Maybe influence, maybe wealth. But internally, you know that's not all there is. Internally, there's a little bit of turmoil. If I could encourage you to do one step, you ought to do what, what happens in this verse. Just pray a simple prayer. God, will you open my heart? Will you take off the blinders? Will you build a bridge? Will you turn on the light? Will you turn down the noise? God, in some form or fashion today and in the weeks to come, will you open my heart? By the way, this is a a prayer that we as believers, followers of Jesus, also need to embrace on behalf of others. It's the prayer that changed us. And so when Paul is communicating a beautiful message to Lydia, he's not persuading her in the same way that we don't need to persuade or convince our friends, but we too can pray the prayer on behalf of friends and family that don't yet know him. God, would, would you please open their heart? Well, watch what happens next. Verse 15, we alluded to this last week. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her house. Uh, the pattern in Acts is after people, you're going you're to find this over and over, after people trust Jesus and give them their life, surrender control, say, I'm yours, then they decide to go public like those two girls did today. It's simply a picture of a changed life. It's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it's communicating publicly that they're aligning with Christ. So, so Lydia's baptized. Verse 15, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says to the guys, come and stay at my house. To which the guys are like, uh, we're good, we'll find somewhere else. And she's like, no, you don't understand. I'm a businesswoman, I've got a large estate. And then it says she persuaded us. So in a real sense, God opens her heart and she opens her home. It's beautiful, it's called hospitality. She's thinking, God, how can I leverage what you've entrusted to me in order that I can do something special to honor you? Now I told you, so far this story's pretty simple. Like, I guess Paul and the guys are thinking they get to fill up. Man, this is going to be so easy. We just sit down and this influential businesswoman has just trusted Christ. Easy peasy. No, it's about to get complicated because of the next encounter. It's a girl that people look down upon. It's a slave girl. And she's owned by men. Watch what happens. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So let's say you lived in Philippi, and you're kind of curious. Um, once your for- fortune told an idea about the future, you would go to these guys and say, hey, here's some cash. They'd send you to the girl, and through some dark powers, this girl would give you an idea of what the future would be. Well, what's crazy is these owners are making a living off of her telling fortune. And I'm told you, first it was simple, now it's going to get complicated. Watch how it gets complicated. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And that's great. But she's a little off. 
Like, like you can imagine if somebody was a little off and they just stood up right here in the middle of this and started getting crazy attention and all this stuff. At first, it's like good publicity. Oh, no, it's not. Stop. But watch what happens. Verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to her, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. He was speaking to the demons. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Like she's delivered from darkness in that moment. It's incredible. And what Paul did here, this is exactly what Jesus did on his life on earth as he would heal and restore people. So in a real sense, as the early church is exploding in different areas outside of Jerusalem, it's like the, the power of God that was at work in Jesus is now cascaded into the apostle Paul to build credibility. Here's something I just want to make an observation and all of us to understand. Don't ever confuse Jesus and darkness as equal. I get so overwhelmed and frustrated when everybody loses hope because of how bad things get. Don't forget this. The Bible makes it clear. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And so when you read this, you're reminded of this. You and I don't have to be afraid of darkness. Jesus already defeated it. Okay, so, so we've had a simple story. That, that's Lydia. The momentum's going, right? Then we've got this little complicated story, a servant girl that everybody looks down on because she is owned by a group of men. Now here's where it gets messy. Um, things are going to go south, and here's why. When darkness left the girl, the income left those guys. Meaning no more fortune telling, no more cash flow. So what do the guys do? The guys grab Paul and Silas, and I still to this day don't know what happened to Luke and Timothy. I don't know how they got out of this, but what happens is Paul and Silas get drugged into that agora, that courtyard that we were talking about at the middle, at the beginning. Uh, they get drugged into the courtyard, and these guys begin to put them on public display, the owners of those girls, public display. They strip them. They curse them. Watch how it happens. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates, the Roman officials, the prestigious Roman officials, and they said, these men are Jews. They're throwing the city of Philippi into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for a Roman to accept or practice because this is Roman pride. This is Roman prestige. Not really. These guys are just running low on income. But the crowd chimes in. Next verse. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. I told you it gets messy. First it was simple, then complicated. Now it's messy. They're stripped. They're beaten, humiliated. Paul and Silas are in physical pain, emotional pain. Can you imagine all the eyes on you as you're stripped and beaten? Psychological pain. pain. It's real damage to which let's press in and start to get practical. Imagine trying to do something good and it blows right up in your face. Watch how bad this gets. Verse 23 after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, which brings us to encounter three. First, it was Lydia, then the servant girl that was owned by men, and now it's a jailer that people looked out for because he's a Roman jailer. He's prestigious. He's got a job, and by the way, his job, you'll find out this jailer's identity is in his job. But before we look at what happens to him, I want you to think about what happens to the Apostle Paul. I want to ask you a question. If you're Paul and all that just happened to you, how would you feel at that moment? How would you feel in that moment? If it were me, I would feel like I had been robbed of my dignity, my rights, a fair trial, my clothing, my health, 
and sleep. Everything that had been taken from me would be the very thing that I'm consumed about. That's why I'm so amazed by what happens in the next verse. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. This isn't normal, right? It wouldn't be easy. But no matter what, they've made the choice to rejoice. I want to ask a question. Think about it. What does it look like for you to offer praise in your prison? Whatever you're going through right now, to which I ask a couple questions about these guys. How did they do it? And then additionally, why would they even want to do it? Because my first choice when I'm in a prison, pity. I'm telling you, I can tell you the best story about how bad I've got it. But when you read the book of Philippians and you pay close attention to what's going on in this prison as they sing and pray, after all that stuff, what you see is a matter of focus. These guys are focusing. And when you've taken a beating, you will always focus on something. Even though they've been robbed, there was something that couldn't be taken. That's different. You see, you read the text and you find out that Jesus was in them. And they were in him. And it painted the picture completely different. Because of Jesus, they knew that eventually all this bad stuff, this prison moment would be taken care of. They knew that eventually, no matter how bad things get, like, like eventually he will make all things new. Eventually, and it may not be soon, like, like everything will be made right the way it was supposed to be. And it's still true that some things had definitely been taken from them. But they decided to focus on the things that could not be taken from them. Now, we'll get back to this in a second because it's practical, but let's go back to the prison. Verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. So an earthquake takes place. The jail walls unhinged. People potentially can escape. And you got a jailer. Remember this? Everybody looked out for it. A Roman Jailer, prestige, identity in a job. His first thought, everybody's escaped. His job's on the line. So what does he do? He takes a sword in the story and holds it to his chest. And please keep this in mind. Great job. The guy's got a family. You're going to read about this. But he found so much identity in work that when he couldn't succeed at work, he was willing to take his life. And as he holds the sword up, the apostle Paul says, hey, stop. Don't do it. We're still here. And the man drops the sword and he looks at them and he says, guys, I got to know, like, like, did that earthquake happen because of me? Like, did did I bring this on you? Tell me more about your message. And literally, what, what do I need to do to be rescued? Tell me more about this Jesus. And to which Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And this isn't just about you. And this is for your family too. And you're thinking, man, He's got to know more information, to which he does. Paul says it this way. Then they spoke the word of God to him and all the others in his house. So this guy gives Jesus his life and gets baptized. His wife, his kids, other people at the house. Guess what else he does? They all get baptized. Then they take Paul and Silas. He bandages their wounds. Guess what else happens? He invites them into his home. 
Guys, this is Lydia all over again. God opens his heart and he opens his home. These three stories, a woman that everybody looked up to, but she was missing Jesus. A young girl that everybody looked down, to, down upon because she was enslaved by darkness. And a prestigious dude that everybody looked out for because he, was, he had the prestigious job of working for Rome. It's fascinating what happens when they all encounter Jesus because guess what? These three, they're the core group for the church that's about to start in Philippi. And 10 years later, these three are part of the group that Paul writes the entire letter. But I want to close today with a couple questions. Because some of us, and some of you in a real sense, find yourself in the midst of a prison. And these guys, verse 25, what did they do in a prison? They offered praise. Two questions. How'd they do it? And really, why would they want to do it? Well, many of you have read an author by the name of Simon Sinek, and he says, let's start with why. So let's do it. Why in the world would they want to praise? If I'm honest, pity is a pretty good alternative to praise. I feel like it gets a little bit more attention. People get to hear my side of the story. I want to answer the why with a series of questions. You ready? Here they are. It's a series of what ifs. What if pity is not pretty? And what if the hate you feel inside of a prison is legitimately hurtful to others and to you? What if bitterness is normal in prison, but God wants to raise you above the normal? Oh, and here's a hard one. What if you have an audience? Paul and Silas had an audience. It's what changed this prisoner. We've got an audience. Your kids are watching how you handle a prison. Your grandkids are wondering. Your classmates, your teammates. The employees at work like, that know your, your hidden stories and your struggles right now, your prison moments, they're watching. And that audience is wondering, does Jesus inside of you really make a difference? When I ask that question, it doesn't mean does Jesus in you make a difference when things are going good. No, does Jesus in you make a difference when very little is going good? That's the why. The why addresses a series of questions like what if pity's not pretty? What if hate is hurtful? What if bitterness is normal and God wants to take you past bitterness? He wants to do something abnormal and what if people are watching? All right, well, let's go to the question how. So now, how did they do it? And when you pay close attention to the story, it's a matter of focus. I mean, when, when you're in a prison, when I'm in a prison, I guess I, I don't care what the prison is. If it's just part of living in a fallen world, if it's something that somebody's intentionally done to you, if it's something that's accidentally been done to you, if it's just a tragedy and you find yourself in a prison, in a prison it's a matter of focus. Well, I focus on what's been robbed. Well, I focus on what's been stolen, what's been taken, or what's gone missing. Or will I focus on what cannot be taken? When I ask you a question that I ask myself in this message, is it possible for Tim Miller, in the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of a prison, to experience the goodness of God, 
to experience the grace of God. That's what those guys did in verse 25 while they're in the prison. In other words, in a real sense, they lived this out. They said, I will focus on the goodness or the grace of God. And I will express it through gratitude and praise. Even when I'm experiencing extreme pain or deep disappointment. Or said different, no matter what. We have the choice to rejoice. This is the framework for the study of Philippians. I want to ask two questions as we get ready to close today. This is for you to think about by yourself, not anyone else. This is for you. Have you ever experienced unexplainable joy in a season of extreme pain or deep disappointment? Can I tell you something? That's why we gathered today in this room at this hour. That's why we're starting this series. Uh, The same beautiful outcome that takes place in this story in Acts 16 can take place in this city in 2022. For followers of Jesus, you're getting an idea of what it looks like. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're going to get an idea of what it sounds like and what it feels like in the weeks to come. We want you to learn to experience unexplainable joy in a season of extreme pain or deep disappointment because it's life. And the unexplainable joy comes only from one thing. It's Jesus. And so now here's the second question. Where's your focus? I know the prisons in this room look completely different. A death, diagnosis, a miscarriage, job loss, a pending divorce, and it is painful. You find yourself in a prison. I just want to ask you, you got an alternative today. As we close out today, where will be your focus? Will it be on what's been taken from you? Your dignity, your reputation. You've been humiliated. There was no fair trial. Your health, will you focus? Will I focus on what's been taken? Or because of Jesus, will I choose to focus on what cannot be taken? That's what happened in that prison as Paul and Silas continued to praise. I'll leave you with this beautiful verse, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close. If you're in a prison, he's close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Meaning, he's at his best when your pain's at its worst. And for followers of Jesus, the worst thing that happens to you is not going to be the last thing that happens to you. In a real sense today, some in this room perhaps look like Lydia. I'm telling you, your life's good. Everybody thinks, man, they're doing well. Perfect family, perfect job, nice house, nice car. And it's you. You've got influence. You've got wealth. But like Lydia, there is a gap. My prayer is that you would begin to pray. It's a beautiful prayer to begin. God, will you open my heart? There are Lydia's in this room. 
There are also girls, people in this room like that girl in the story that kind of tied to darkness. Like some in this room are just handcuffed to addiction, handcuffed to depression, discouragement, shame, guilt. I'm telling you, you know, the answer for her was the same answer that Lydia needed. It was Jesus. There are also some in this room, let's press in on the guys. It could be guys, it could be girls, doesn't matter. Where there is a temptation for us, like that jailer, to find our identity in a job. So much so that when we're not doing a good job, we entertain terrible ideas because our identity's there. It's just like this jailer that was willing to take his life. The answer for all three was Jesus. It's crazy. It started simple. It got complicated. And then it got really messy because the outcome spilled over to Paul. And Paul gets thrown into prison and he's robbed of his dignity. But all he does in jail is focus on the things that can't be taken. And doggone it, that's contagious. I'm telling you, you can't do much. Somebody's got an incredible attitude. You're going to find out in Philippians. They're like, Paul, if you don't shut up, we're going to put you in prison. He's like, would you please? <laughs> like, I got to finish the letter to the church at Ephesus. And um, that jailer, he was so close to coming to know Jesus. Would you please? And they're like, okay, Paul, if you don't shut up, uh, we'll put you to death. Would you please? He'll say in Philippians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, it's a win-win. You cannot do anything to a person with an incredible attitude. And that's why we're going to examine deep, no matter what, the choice to rejoice. Head bowed, eyes closed. I just want to ask you a question. For those in this room, can you pray that prayer? Even though you don't know all the details of the scripture yet, would you be willing to pray the prayer? God, please open my heart. Others in this room, enslaved to darkness, addiction, understand. God, will you open my heart? Will you open my heart again? Others in this room that find their identity in a job. God, will you open my heart? Remind me that a job, a status, it does not define me. And then for those in this room that are experiencing a prison, you're not alone. Just remember it's a matter of focus. Pity or praise? Will you dwell on what's been taken? Or will you dwell on what can't be taken? On a day like today, I, I know there's people that would like to partner with this church. Say, man, you know, like that church at Philippi, I know everybody got together and said, let's make this thing official. Same thing's going at this church in Knoxville called Severe Heights. It's just 2,000 years later. If you want to jump in, help out. During the song or afterwards, you can go to the far right of the room and talk to them about partnering with us. Or maybe some in this room have prayed the prayer today. God, open my, I open my heart to you. And you'd like the schedule of baptism. You, you simply go to that room and you talk with them. And we'll put it on the calendar. We'll schedule a date. Maybe some of you just need prayer. Because the prison is heavy. We'd love to walk with you in that moment. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for loving us. I thank you that no matter what happens, we have the choice to rejoice. I, I lift up those that are in prison moments right now. It's heavy. May we take our cues from you. 
May we get to see how Paul handled it. And may a little bit of that same power cascade into us. I pray that in Jesus' name.